Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. I want to start off by asking what I think is an easy question. What is the most commonly told lie in the world? What do you think is the most commonly told lie in the world? To the point where I'm pretty sure that this morning you've already told it. Certainly within the last seven days, and this is everybody, I've told it, Vic and Fran have told it, and I know that they're the senior pastors, but they've still told it. You've probably told it. Pretty much everybody in the Western world has told this lie at some point. I hereby acknowledge that I have read and understood the terms and conditions. What a lot, no. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. And if you have, you've read a lot. So let's play a little game because I'm a youth pastor and I always love games. Let's go through the word counts of the terms and conditions that you have read and understood. If you are a user of Instagram or Snapchat, you are in the thousands-ish, two and a half thousand for Instagram, nearly 4,000 words in the terms and conditions of Snapchat. These terms and conditions include the phrases of, if you post a photo on our site, it's ours, not yours. It's ours and it's free for us to use and sell to whomever and do whatever with we like. So there are photos of my cat potentially on billboards in Uzbekistan and I can't do anything about it. You haven't read it, I haven't read it, and I use it all the time. These guys are the lightweights though when it comes to the terms and conditions. If you use Google or Facebook, you know you're in the tens of thousands. Google, uh, 10,640 words. Facebook, uh, just over 11,000 words. Again, similar kind of language. Anything you put on our sites, we are allowed to use. So that includes the data. Every time you make a search into Google, we all know this, right? Google are paying attention to everything. Hi, Google. Um, they, will, they will use that. But that's nothing. You really want to get into ignoring terms and conditions. You've got to go to the big guys. You have, oh no, we've got to go to iTunes first. iTunes is um, you know, nearly 20,000. iCloud, iOS, they have different terms and conditions. To give you some sort of context, Shakespeare's Macbeth comes in at just over 18,000 words, which is shorter than the iTunes terms and conditions. <laughs> Hurts, doesn't it? Like I said, PayPal and Amazon, those guys are the big guys. They are in 36,000, 38,000. Again, our friend Shakespeare, Hamlet, 30,000 words. You will spend less time reading Hamlet than you would read PayPal and Amazon's terms and conditions. And what do all of those terms and conditions have in common? This glorious, glorious phrase, isn't it? We reserve the right to change any of these terms and conditions at any time without any prior notice. All of those terms and conditions are subject to change to which we all go, that is totally unfair. What do you mean you've written all of this document and now you're allowed to just change it and you don't even have to tell us? That doesn't seem fair and yet if you've been around the block enough, you know that that is totally how life works. So much in our lives is subject to change. And so over these next few minutes, I just kind of want to talk about what do we do with this? What do we do in a world where everything is constantly changing or has the potential to change at any point? 
How do we live through this? And this is the series that we're actually going to be starting at youth group over the next few weeks, which is why our high school students are kind of staying in this morning. But this is what we're going to talk about, because as we get to the end of the year, we start to look ahead. Right. If you're looking through to what's coming up for you in 2019, we all have some sort of expectation of what life should look like or could look like. And then when we kind of have to keep in the back of our mind, well, maybe it won't go that way. Maybe life is going to be subject to change. We all have dreams, goals, ideas of what our future is going to be. We all have some kind of next coming. We all have something, whether it's something that we can see, something that we're looking forward to and maybe are excited about, or maybe it's just something that's going to blindside us and come out of nowhere. Some examples of what might be next for you towards the end of this year or into next year. Maybe it's a new school, maybe it's graduating high school and heading into that transition season. Maybe it's a wedding that you're engaged, you know, we're in wedding season, that's going to be a thing that's going to happen. Maybe it's a baby or another baby. Maybe you're moving to a new city, taking up a, a new job. And again, this is something that we would be looking forward to, we'd be excited about. Maybe you're at the stage of life or your parents are at the stage of life where it's empty nest time, where you can see on the horizon, not happening maybe next year, but you can tell that this is the next big change that's going to happen in your world is your kids are going to be graduating high school or graduating uni, and they're going to be off. They're going to be getting married, and they're going to be moving out. Maybe the next season for you is retirement. Again, not happening tomorrow, not happening next month, but as far as you can see, next on the horizon is this season. And these are just the ones that you could kind of plan for and see coming. This is nothing for the, the blindside ones, the relationship that's breaking down. Maybe you kind of have a feeling that this is beginning to end. Maybe it's tomorrow morning you're going to head to work and you're going to get that dreaded email that says, we have to do some restructuring we'll let you know. And then a few days later, you're invited into an office and they sit across the boardroom table from you. Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe you're living this out right now and they're, they're handing you their package saying, sorry, we have to let you go. That's a change that you didn't see coming. Maybe it's a diagnosis for you or, or for someone. Maybe it's just a loss, a sudden tragic loss of someone that you know. Life is full of changes. All of life is subject to change and it hurts. Every change hurts, even the ones that you can plan for, because whenever there is something next, whenever there is a change coming, there's always this ugly word called transition, where you have left the thing that you were in, and you are not quite yet in the thing that you were headed to, and you're caught in that in-between. I've lived this out for the last five or six years, as I have changed my role at Rima, where I work, where I started as an intern, and then I went to the night show, and then I read the news, and then I did audio production, and then I have done the afternoon show, and now I'm on a different station hosting breakfast. It always feels fluid, and it feels like nothing's really quite settled. And I can see by some nodding of some heads that I'm not the only one who's experienced this. We all kind of know what transition feels like. When you're moving house, you have sold your house, so you're about to move into the next one, but there is that transition period where you have to pack, and you have to tell your kids to pack, and you have to clean, and you have to sort all of that sort of stuff out. And whenever there is a change, whenever there is a transition, there is always stress, even in the good ones, even when a new season is going to be something that you are excited about. To prove it, just think about the last time you spoke to the mother of a bride, the day before a wedding. That's an exciting change. That's an exciting what's next. But what is she feeling? 
stress. Talk to the father of a son or a daughter the day that they bring their kid home from hospital. That's an exciting season. That's an exciting next. We're looking forward to this. The child leaving hospital means that everything is going good. But what are they feeling in that moment? Stress. The first day of school, the the first day at a new job, you are excited, but you have come through a season of change and you are feeling stressed. So in those moments of transition, in those moments of stress, what is it that we can focus on? Or what is it that we can hold on? Because you know how when we're talking through this idea of change, I liken it to the feeling of motion sickness. Now, I don't get motion sickness often because usually when I'm traveling, I'm the one driving. And so motion sickness isn't something that I have personally felt, although in a couple of weeks, I am doing my first crossing of the Cook Strait on the Inter-Islander, and I've heard some stories. I know that I am either in for the greatest view, the greatest experience ever, or it's not going to be pretty. And you will have stories, maybe even the fact that I have brought up motion sickness, you are already feeling it, just a little bit. (laughs) That if I start to rock like this, you are saying, stop it, and you are gripping your seat a little tighter. You are trying to focus on something else, because this is what they tell you, right? If you start to feel like that, focus on the horizon, don't look at the waves, don't think about what you're just driving past, try to look off into the distance. Have you ever been on public transport, and if you're a bit of a germaphobe, you try not to touch anything, and then the driver of the bus or the driver of the train seems to be like their mission is to get you to fall over. And everybody else on the train is also knowing that you're playing this game, and so you have like rocked in and you are set to go, but you eventually have to reach for a rail or a handle. When we're in seasons of transition, it's good for us to have something to focus on, good for us to have have something to hold on. And as we've sung this morning, and as we've talked about this morning, we kind of want to have some sort of anchor, really, that we can hold on to when we're in a season of transition. We want to have an anchor, a good, heavy, weighted anchor, something that we can grab a hold of, something that we can trust while we're in the season of transition. But maybe more than that, maybe instead of having an anchor that we can hold on to, we want to know that there's going to be an anchor that's going to hold on to us as we're in transition, as all of our lives are subject to change and everything in our life or something that we aren't aware of yet, and we're going to get blindsided by it soon. And if you're a high school student, maybe you haven't experienced this this much, but you just look at the adults in the room all nodding. This is what life is like. You're going to want to know that there is something that's going to hold on to you. And so I want to go to a part of the Bible that maybe you haven't read before. It's in your New Testament. It's a letter written to the Hebrews. This is the dad joke book of the Bible. How do you know Jesus loved coffee? Hebrews. How do you know Jesus loved craft beer? Hebrews. Why is it the husband's job to make tea and not the wife's? Because Hebrews, not Shebrews. That's true in our household. There's, anyway, so many of those you could go to. But the letter of Hebrews was written to a group of, of Jewish believers. These were people who had gone through a life change. They had, gone, they had grown up believing the Jewish tradition, and then they'd met Jesus. They'd met a resurrected Savior, and they were now trying to be in the, everything that they had been taught, everything that they had grown up believing, what their parents and their parents' parents and their parents' parents' parents had told them, and for generations, this had been the way you'd done things. Now, apparently, 
that all seemed to be different. And there is tension there. There is stress there. And so the writer of Hebrews, and we don't even know who the writer is. We assume it's a man. A lot of people think that it's the apostle Paul, but we don't really know for sure. The writer of Hebrews says about halfway through this letter in Hebrews chapter six, and I'm gonna, we're going to go through it nice and slow. People swear by someone greater than themselves. And we don't really do this as much anymore, but I don't know if you remember back in intermediate school, you would do this, right? When you really wanted to drive home a point that you were honest, that this was what you were talking about, and it was usually something stupid, you know, but you would say things like, I swear on my mum, or I swear on my grandma. If you really wanted to take it up a level, you would go up through the generations, and then you would go to the highest of all authority, and you're currently thinking, is he going to say this in church? Is he about to go where I think he's about to go? Yeah, because we've done it. Maybe you haven't, maybe you're better at it than I am, but you would say things like, I swear to God that this is true. What I'm about to say, I am so passionate and so serious about. Trust me. We all do this because we all want to believe that someone is higher than us. Someone is greater than us. There is some authority that is going, that I can attach what I'm saying to, to that you will believe me. I'm telling you the truth. People swear by someone greater than themselves and that oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because as soon as you say, I swear on my mum, no one's taking you on. No one's doing that. And if they do, you have to crank it up a notch. And as soon as you do that, no one's taking you on. And as soon as they do, you crank it up another notch until one of you says... I swear to God, time's infinity. And then it shuts down the argument. But this was the thing back then. And so God did this because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose or promise very clear to the ears of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. So this is talking about uh, back in Genesis, the promise that God made to Abraham that I will give you a son and through your lineage, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to bless all nations. All peoples will come to know you and be blessed through you. And in Genesis 22, God reinforces that promise right after Abraham has nearly sacrificed the son that is that promise. He, you know, he's taken Isaac up to this mountain and he has nearly sacrificed him. And God has gone, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Now that I know that you are fully trusting and you are totally on board with this, let me swear to you in my name, the name that you believe to be higher than all other names, let me make an oath to you that I will do what I have promised I said I would do. And so this is the oath that the writer of Hebrews is talking about, the promise that through Abraham, the whole world will be blessed. And then he sealed it with this oath. God did this so that by these two unchangeable things, that promise and that oath, and trusting that it is impossible for God to lie, which sort of is the part that kind of confuses me a little bit, because if we believe that God's word is unfailing and can't be changed, he probably didn't need to make the oath. Right? We should have just taken it at face value. The promise of God should just be the promise of God. But God knew that we'd want to trust in something a little more. So he put the oath on it. God did this, these two unchangeable things. You can't break an oath, especially an oath if you've sworn it to God, especially if you are God. <laughs> it's impossible for God to lie so that we who have fled 
could take hold of the hope set before us, and we could be greatly encouraged. God did this so that those of us who have run to him, have sought refuge in his nature, in his character, in that promise, we could know that that was safe and secure. We could be encouraged that that promise was going to be true. Hope is a weird, tricky thing. And maybe as we've sung this morning and we've had people share on hope being that anchor, maybe you felt a little weird because you're not quite sure if your hope could be trusted, if you could trust God enough to put your hope in him. Because this is the reality about hope, right? Hope has to be based on something that's real. I could stand in front of you here and say, I hope to one day play for the All Blacks. (laughs) And you all laugh. Because look at me, and a lot of you know me, and my disdain for physical activity, or even watching rugby. I can't even do it. So, I mean, you know, I could say, I hope to one day sell more albums than the Beatles or Ed Sheeran, and you go, no, 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 no. That's so not happening. Because there's no basis in reality for that. Hope has to be based on something that's real. And so, the writer of Hebrews continues, and this is maybe a verse that you've heard before. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It is firm and secure. This anchor is something you can trust. This is something that you could place your hope in and be encouraged, be confirmed that it's going to be all right, that you can hold on to it, that maybe if you have doubt or if you have questions about whether or not God's going to come through for you, the whole letter of Hebrews is this reminder, this encouragement, that even though so much has changed, so much can change, so much will change, you can put your hope in God because he will come through. It is an anchor for the soul. It is firm and secure. A little bit later on, towards the end of the letter of Hebrews, the writer puts in this phrase that we've already mentioned a couple of times this morning, that God will never leave you or forsake you. Remember that. Don't forget that. As all of these things have changed, as you are trying to live about this new way of life, don't fret about God abandoning you. Yes, the rules may have changed. It's no longer about 600-something laws that you have to follow. And it's not even really about the two great commandments, love God and love people. The last commandment that Jesus gave his disciples before he was arrested and crucified was, I want you to love others as I have loved you. This is what I want you to hold on to and to remember that I am the same, or Jesus Christ is the same, yesterday, today, and forever, that throughout all of life, even though it's all subject to change, God's not going to change. Even though life changes, God doesn't. So what would it look like for you to hold on to this truth this week or tomorrow? As you face uncertainty, maybe you're heading towards a season that you are afraid of. Maybe you're about to move. Maybe you're about to become an empty nest family and you're not really quite sure what that's going to look like. Maybe you've got a child heading to a different school or some season of life is about to shift. What would it look like for you to hold on to this? Life changes, but God doesn't. And you can trust in that. You can put your hope firm and secure in that. One of the things that they have uh, taught me, well, one of the things that I have learned from watching 
and don't laugh, um, the Olympic gymnastics and ballet and dance. And we have a few girls in our youth group who do this. Um, and so I, I've asked Michaela uh, and Tori, you guys want to come on up and demonstrate this? This idea of keeping it in front of you. Um, what I have come to learn to know uh, is spotting. Right? So if you ever watch gymnastics, if you ever watch ballet, what these guys do as they do those multiple spins round and around and around and they don't get dizzy and they don't fall over is you look, you pick a spot, right? And then, so what spot are you going to pick? You're picking the Kyoto sign? Okay, so are you picking a spot as well? Pick the light? Okay, and so these guys can spin, so you guys can go for it. Spin as much as you want and they won't fall over, they won't lose focus because the thing that they are anchoring themselves to, oh, <laughs> maybe they will fall over if you're in socks and you're on carpet and you're... But if you could find a spot that you could focus on, you could spin and you will know where you are. You can recenter yourself. This is how they count revolutions as they do flips on a balance beam. This is how they stay straight as they're kind of doing these dives off of a, a high board. They can count, they pick a spot, and as they see it whip by, they can count revolutions so that they can always be facing the right way. You want to give these guys a round of applause. Thank you. And so what I'd love you to do as we come to a close is grab your phone out and open the notes app and write down something that you can keep in front of you. Write down a time maybe of where God was there for you, so tangible, so obvious, that it was, it's so clear. And then keep it in front of you so that when you hit a time of transition, when you are approaching a season of change, You've got something that you can hold on to. You've got something that you can focus on. You've got something that you can keep in front of you. Something that is steadfast and secure. Something that is a firm foundation for your faith. So God, thank you for today. And God, thank you that you can be trusted to come through with what you said you would do. God, we put our faith in you, not as a, a blind faith or as a blind hope, but based on something that's real, based on what we've seen, because we have the benefit of being on the other side of that resurrection. And we have the eyewitness accounts on devices that we keep in our pockets or the book that we have that sits on our coffee table or in our bedside cabinet. But God, this is right there for us to read any time. We can see this promise fulfilled. So God, as we go from here into a season of transition that we're maybe already in, or maybe there is one coming soon, maybe it's one we don't know about. But God, would you remind this, remind us of this? Would we keep it front and center? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.